elevate your summer with Osea's best-selling body care set. It's everything you need for radiant summer skin on the go. Featuring travel sizes of Osea's clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral skincare, like their best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Right now, you can get the best-seller's body care set, a $78 value, 33% off. And use code SUMMER to save an additional 10%. That's an additional 10% off at OCEAMalibu.com, code SUMMER. We have got a difference maker kind of Saturday on the docket here for week 10 of the college football season. Take a real good look at the conference standings as they stand right now because this time next week, they will look vastly different. Happy Halloween. Get a little bit spooky. Nothing spookier than the very first college football playoff rankings, which drop tonight. We'll have full thoughts and analysis as soon as those rankings are out. But when I say it's going to be spooky, it's going to be spooky in terms of the reaction we get. A lot of people saying my team should be higher. Your team would not be on a neutral field. Where would the spread be if we played tomorrow? A lot of conversation that will be had about games that are maybe never even going to happen. But regardless, we're glad to have you in here. It's Tuesday, October 31st, 2023. The last one in history. Got to make it an absolute great one. The best one on the face of the earth. The, the greatest one in history. Happy Halloween to you. Like I said, it is Prediction Tuesday. So if you're new to the show, welcome every single Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern. We sit in this very spot, look into that camera, and tell you who we think is going to win the games coming up on this slate. It's a great slate this weekend, man. we got LSU-Bama. LSU looking to go for the second in a row against Nick Saban with Brian Kelly running the show. What would that mean for LSU if they found a way to get it done with as dinged up as they are, as bad as the defense has been? What if they could get it done against Alabama? We'll give you our pick in that one, and we'll talk about that one. You got Texas. Speaking of being dinged up, no Quinn Ewers, Malik Murphy. Getting the wing loose again for the second week in a row after a solid, not not phenomenal, but a solid showing against BYU. The defense stepped up big in that when the defense was also dinged up last week as they're trying to get healthy. Kansas State coming to town. Physical operation, Kansas State. It's been like the same team for the last 10 years over there. How do they look in that one? We got Missouri and Georgia. Georgia now starting to feel like they're catching their momentum, catching their tempo. Carson Beck, I think, put himself in the Heisman conversation with what he did last week against Florida. And Carson Beck's been playing well for a long time. This was just the first chance that the national audience really got to see what he has. And also, I think no Brock Bowers kind of peels back the curtain on how good he really is. But they're going to have to keep pace this week against Missouri. Potentially will have to keep pace, I should say. Luther Burden. He deserves some Heisman buzz as well with what he's doing at Missouri. The all-everything wide receiver for them over there. How do they handle a little bit more of a potent offensive attack this week in Athens? I'm excited to watch it. We'll give you our pick in that one. And then Washington going to Los Angeles to play in the Coliseum against USC. It feels like to me this is Lincoln Riley's last stand. And not last stand as a head coach, but I mean this season for, for USC. This, this is the last, like, if you're going to draw a line in the sand, and say, nope, this is not who we're going to be. Me and my team, this is not how we're going to let our script be written in 2023. If you want to turn the tide, this is the game to do it. Go take down a top five team in Washington. And Washington, we'll see where they stand tonight when it comes to those college football playoff rankings. But you'd have to imagine they, uh, they would not be disappointed to put USC to bed and to get a win in a convincing fashion over a team that is a big brand in that conference and it's going to be a matchup going forward in Big Ten play. Like, all that's to say, Washington, they got everything to play for. I'm excited to, to watch that matchup. Excited to give you our pick in that one. 
Make sure you're subscribed. It's college football, only college football on this show. No hot takes, no added agendas, no additives, no high fructose corn syrup. It's ball and only ball, okay? We celebrate fall Saturdays over here because you you celebrate fall Saturdays over there. Like, we're, we're kind of one in the same here. Like, yes, we got the, the mic and the camera and all that, but, like, at the end of the day, we love ball, you love ball, and this show celebrates ball and only ball. So we're glad to have you here again. Subscribe if you have not yet already. We're going to do the reset right here for all of us. A lot going on. Maybe you're trick-or-treating tonight. Maybe you're taking your son's daughters. Maybe you're taking your brother's trick-or-treating tonight. That's awesome. That's going to get here when it gets here. For right now, though, whether you're listening in the car, whether you're tuned in live, we appreciate you regardless. We're talking just college football, so relax. Everything else on your plate, it can wait. All right, we're going to get there. When it gets here, it'll get here, but it can wait. For now, we're just talking college football. Got a lot of predictions to get to. Before we get to those, though, there was a story that entered into the social media world last night. And this is such a college football story, and I love it so much. Dabo Sweeney versus Tyler from Spartanburg. So a lot of these different programs will have a coach's call-in show during the week where pretty much anybody with a cellular device can call into this show and have the coach's ear for a period of time. Ask a question, tell them something, whatever. It's usually great interaction. I think it helps kind of draw a fan base and the coaches closer together in some sense but like last night Tyler from Spartanburg jumped on the mic and just went after Dabo Sweeney went after Dabo Sweeney and questioned you know his pride that that has grown in his opinion since Dabo Sweeney's had success at Clemson he's quoting scripture at him saying pride comes before fall talking about his hires and questioning the way that he's built his staff over the last couple of years he's questioning Dabo Sweeney and he went so far as to ask why are we paying you what you're what we're paying you to have these kind of results and my first thought in this whole situation was like there's there's three people in this conversation you got Tyler you got Dabo Sweeney and you have the individual who's supposed to be hosting the radio show. My first thought was like, this dude left Dabo Sweeney out to dry, whoever is hosting this thing. Like, we're letting Tyler from Spartanburg just get off a full soliloquy, a full sonnet off his chest on live radio. And Dabo Sweeney's just sitting there like, it's not his job to cut off Tyler. It's the person who's the moderator of the entire radio show to cut off Tyler. Like, I've done radio before, and in Waco, Texas, even when we got callers that, that you know, kind of had something to say, and if it went past a certain period of time, it's like, thanks so much for calling. Let's get to what you were talking about. Like, good for Dabo Sweeney for stepping in when he did, but, like, I, that, that to me was the first issue with this whole picture and this whole situation. So... The, the, the thoughts that I have on this are a little bit conflicted. Like I was slow to go to the Twitter sphere to give my thought on this because I think there is a lot of facets within this situation. And whenever you're dealing with human beings, there's usually some complexities. There's usually not some completely right or completely wrong answer. So I, I feel a couple of ways about this. And to start with the, the initial reaction I had was it, it kind of felt a little bit off to me. Like Dabo Sweeney, or I should finish what happened if you haven't yet already heard the story. So to reset it, Dabo Sweeney goes in on this dude and is like, look, look at what we've done at Clemson. Look at how, how I've been successful here. Look at the, the amount of wins we've had, the, the national titles. Like none of that was a thing before I got here. Clemson hadn't been successful in a long time and kind of essentially pointed to the mountain of evidence, the mountain of success that he's had at Clemson. 
and says that, you know, I, I've never failed at anything in my life. I, I succeed. That's who I am. That's what I do. That's what we're going to do. It's a down year. Yes, 100%. I take responsibility, responsibility for that, but essentially just pointing to everything great that he's done at Clemson. And I mean, more power to him. It's well within his right to do that and pretty much told him, you know, like Kendrick Lamar, sit down, be humble, is what he told Tyler from Spartanburg. So going back to my original reaction to this, again, it, it felt a little bit off to me because this, this isn't a story because Tyler from Spartanburg called in and let Dabo Sweeney have it. This is a story because Dabo Sweeney just went fire flamethrower on Tyler from Spartanburg. Like Tyler from Spartanburg, I don't think he was calling to say to, to have Dabo Sweeney say back to him, you know what, you bring up a good point, son. I'm glad you called. I do make too much for what we're doing this season. Thank you, Tyler. I will step down. Like, I don't think that was Tyler's hope. Tyler's hope was to get a reaction from Dabo Sweeney. I would have to believe, based on the format of this whole operation, the way that he called into this call-in show. And he got exactly what he wanted from where I'm sitting. And so the first thought was like, if I'm Dabo Sweeney, like, why, why are we giving oxygen to this fire? And I know it's, it's easy to say that from where I'm sitting because I'm not Dabo Sweeney where my coach or where my football team is four and four and I'm the face of this whole operation and everyone's questioning me and the way that I do things. And I'm sure there's a ton of emotion. I'm sure this was probably the final straw in the situations where Dabo Sweeney has taken the high road and not given oxygen to the fire. So I completely understand that. But the feeling to me is a lot like the feeling I get whenever I see people with a bunch of followers on Twitter quote tweeting and hanging, you know, buddy with nine followers and a logo for his profile picture out to dry and just, you know, kind of just sunning that dude. It's like, why, why are you doing that? <laughs> like nobody's thinking anything about Jerry 42 from, you know, Biloxi, Mississippi with seven followers and has his school's mascot as his profile picture. They're not thinking anything about that. Nobody's saying, wow, he really got after you. And that's fine if you want to tee off and make an example out of it and, and get some you know, juice off of it on social media. And that was, again, a different platform than having an actual call-in show because you actually have to respond via the call-in show. But like, I would so much rather, if it were me, have heard Dabo Sweeney just be like, hey, thanks for calling in, Tyler. Yeah, I want to win some more football games too. Next caller. Like, it's, we're not even having this conversation if that's what happens with Dabo Sweeney. So I don't pretend to understand, like, where Dabo Sweeney's at emotionally with all this, because I'm sure, again, I'm sure he's had a ton of things said about him that he's taken the high road on. But again, it's like, why are we giving life to this situation? You don't have to say anything to this dude. You, I mean, the mountain of evidence that you have behind you that you referenced, like, everybody knows that. Nobody's questioning in their right mind if Dabo Sweeney's right for Clemson. Like, are there some things that he probably could do to improve the situation going forward yeah but I'm, I'm sure Dabo Sweeney knows that too so giving life to the situation as a whole to start kind of felt funny to me now the other part of this that felt funny that kind of was a little bit off from where I'm sitting and we we've said this a couple times about Dabo Sweeney I don't think he's wrong in what he's saying like yes Clemson before Dabo Sweeney they were not nearly as competitive as they are now. He has brought a whole new brand to Clemson. He's made that program much more competitive than what they've been in the past. He's brought home hardware. Like, he's put Clemson on the map to keep it 100%. Like, in modern college football, Clemson is a footnote without Dabo Sweeney and what he's done there over the course of his time as the head coach there. So that's true. But the way that he talked about what Clemson wasn't previously and how they've been successful since he's been there... He talked a lot about expectation and appreciation. 
And I don't think that's invalid, but I'm also kind of like, well, at what point in time are we going to stop talking about what the expectation was previously? Like the best way that I could explain this is if I'm a freshman in college and I'm getting C's and then my sophomore year, I go and get A's. And then my junior year, I get a B minus and everyone's like, hey, what's up? Why are you getting a B minus? You're an A student. You say, well, hey, I got, I got C's my freshman year. What are you talking about? You, you, th- you think I, I should get A's just because I got A's my last you know, year in college? No, I, I'm, I got C's before. Like, you see how that kind of feels a little bit funny to make that kind of statement to that sort of issue? Like, people are holding Dabo Sweeney to a standard that he's created. People are talking about Clemson a certain way because they've been successful under Dabo Sweeney. And it's not like a, a negative thing to have expectations. Like, the, the bigger issue would be if Clemson was 4-4 four and four and people are saying, hey, how about Clemson? Good for them. They used to be nothing. Now they're 4-4. Four and four. Good for Clemson. Like, expectations and pressure, like, that's all privilege. And I'm sure Dabo Sweeney understands that. But the fact that we keep citing back to what Clemson was in their history, it's like, okay, that's great that they used to be bad. You made them good. Now when you're not good, people are going to have an issue with that. That's phenomenal. That's awesome there's belief in in this program. Now, the way that people go about it, there's always that extreme portion of a fan base that thinks the coach should be fired and the offensive coordinator should be fired or fire everybody after any kind of loss, and that's just the nature of the beast. But again, to go back to, hey, well, this is expectation versus appreciation and reality, it's like I think that's not really a a lake I would want to wade into too deeply if I'm Dabo Sweeney, if I'm Clemson. So that's kind of the, the two things that felt off to me. Why are we giving live to this? And then why are we talking about the expectation that was at Clemson however long ago before you got there? Yes, you put Clemson on the map, but the fact that we are now trending backwards in a down year, and you're allowed to have a down year. I don't want to overblow this thing, but there is this sort of sentiment of like, well, the bar is set up here because you set it up here. You got A's last semester. You, you, you've proven you're an A kind of football team. And now we're getting B minuses and we're bordering on C plus. So yeah, people are going to have a little bit of an issue because they know Clemson is capable of more. So those are two things that felt funny to me. Now, I, I do want to give a lot of credit to what he said. Like I just talked about the content that felt weird. And I talked about the fact that it was weird that there was giving life to the situation, period. But if I'm in that locker room at Clemson, I feel like Coach Sweeney went to bat for me. If I'm anybody in Dabo Sweeney's camp, if I've ever coached for Dabo Sweeney, I feel like he went to bat. Because I think there's kind of this perception around Dabo Sweeney of, oh, he's a nice guy. Hey, he's a man of faith. He's going to say the right thing more often than not, except for when he says something cringy or puts his foot in his mouth. And he's gotten a little bit more after some of these, you know, conversations around Clemson. He's kind of been a little bit more outspoken against it these last couple of years, really. But like, I think Dabo Sweeney, with the way that he said this, he sent the message like, yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a good guy. I'm not a nice guy. Like, yes, there, there's a culture we have here. And, and yes, you know, we're going to try and do things my way, which I believe are the right way and more power to him, a man of conviction. I happen to be a Dabo Sweeney guy, to be 100% honest with y'all. Like, I, I love the way that he does things. I love the way that he goes about his business. But I, if I'm, again, going back to my point, if I'm in that locker room, I feel like Dabo Sweeney went to bat for everybody here and he defended the way that we do things. Because anytime you take a shot at anybody on a football team, coach, player, otherwise, it's perceived as a shot on the entire organization. And so for him to be emotional and to viciously speak out against that, if I'm, again, if I'm a player in that locker room, I love that. It shows me that Dabo Sweeney, one, 
cares a whole lot. So if anybody questioned that, I don't know what to tell you. I don't understand why you would arrive at that conclusion. Second part of this, there's a lot of belief. There's a lot of belief that there's not a, there's not a lot of questioning his way of doing things. Otherwise you don't respond with such an outward statement and, and point back to the results that you've had within your belief system. So I think when it comes to the game this weekend now, uh, there's going to be a, a lot of extra juice on that Clemson side of things against Notre Dame. Like if we're going to see Clemson play with some fire, and we've seen it at times, I think the Florida State game, you saw them play juiced up. This game, if the if the opponent of Notre Dame wasn't enough, this whole story going into it will absolutely be enough. So that's how we feel about that. Again, Dabo Sweeney, some things that maybe felt funny about it, but at the end of the day, like you can't fault a guy for defending his guys, defending his way of doing things, and for defending Clemson as a whole. So if we had to lean a certain way on this conversation, I'll probably lean towards Dabo Sweeney. And I can't wait to see how they respond because I'm telling you, there's going to be there's going to be some juice on that sideline for Clemson this weekend. The hard count is brought to y'all by the good people at Prize Picks. Now, if, if you follow this show every single Thursday live, we give you our picks. And we felt really good about our picks this weekend. Did a, did a flex play. I'll talk about that here in a second. Redeem code JD when you sign up. Listen to me. 100% deposit match up to 100 bucks. Okay, redeem code JD, no periods in between that, just JD, two letters, real easy. Get you a deposit match for, if you put down 30 bucks, they'll match you 30 bucks. You take that, put it on a flex play, which we're going to release this Thursday, maybe a flex play, maybe a power play. We'll talk about it when it gets here. You'll be able to make some money. It'll be a real good deal. Daily Fantasy, free, easy, safe. Download the Prize Picks app, you'll get right. So what we had this past weekend was a a tricky one for us, all right? So we had Braylon Allen. We had him scoring a rushing touchdown. His number was half a rushing touchdown. We took the more there. We had Cade Stover, half a receiving touchdown. We took the more there. We had Dylan Gabriel, essentially total touchdowns, two and a half. We took the more there. The Dylan Gabriel, more number on his total touchdowns, that hit, okay? He had three rushing touchdowns. Awesome. Check it off. Great. Cade Stover. Half a receiving touchdown. It was kind of a, a slug fest against Wisconsin. We'll talk about Wisconsin side of things here in a second. But like, Kate Stover didn't get as many targets as we thought. Okay, our bad. That did not hit. The heartbreaker, though, was Braylon Allen. Half a rushing touchdown. Braylon Allen gets hurt early in the game. Goes out of it. Was not able to obviously get that rushing touchdown. So, all that's to say, we control the controllables. We still feel good about that play. If, if I mean, knowing what I know now, obviously it didn't happen how we were hoping, but all that's to say, if we were to rewind the clock and go back to the moment where we made this play, we would do the exact same thing because Braylon Allen is a grown man running the football and he was their best offensive weapon if he had stayed in that game. So all that's to say, we'll have more picks for you this coming Thursday. And uh, yeah, I would just say, keep an eye on that live show on Thursday because there's something coming with prize picks that I want y'all to be made aware of. And tuning in live is going to be the best way to get that done. So just a little little Easter egg there for you. Keep an eye on the live show. And I uh, want you all to be in the know. So appreciate Price Picks bringing us the hard count today and bringing you all the hard count today. All right, let's get into it. It is Prediction Tuesday. We pick all the games for this upcoming weekend, or a lot of the big-time games, rather, on this Tuesday. We'll probably have some more predictions for you throughout the rest of the week because this slate is deep like the Pacific Ocean. But we're starting out with a little, uh, little action at noon. you got Kansas State. Going to Texas. Texas, 
favored by four and a half points. This game's on Fox. For Texas, man, it feels like this is the one day at a time. Keep this thing going. Keep pushing this wagon uphill. Your quarterback's dinged up. He's not playing. Malik Murphy, you're in the ball game. Let's keep on going. Just one foot in front of the other. You peek over the horizon. You see the Big 12 title game. You see the college football playoff. You can't focus on that. You can't focus on what's ahead. You got to look right here because you got Kansas State coming to town, and they're a physical operation. Physical as all get out are the Power Cats. Now, Kansas State, they got one conference loss, and nobody's really talking about them. Just kind of flying under the radar, typical Kansas State fashion. Oh, hey, don't worry about us. We're just, we're just scoring a lot of points and playing really good defense. Don't worry about us, though. We're just going to keep this thing rolling and kind of fly under the radar. And then all that, I want to make sure we say, if Kansas State ends up pulling off this win in Austin, I say pulling off, they're only four-and-a-half-point dogs. So like, this is a very winnable game if you're Kansas State. If they do beat Texas in Austin, like they are no longer flying under the radar. They're, they're, they're very much so in that conversation when it comes to the Big 12 title. So what's going to determine this game? I prefaced it a little bit. The physicality of Kansas State offensively, they're going to do everything in their power to take it to Texas. Like I said it earlier in this live show, Kansas State has been the same football team from a philosophy standpoint last 10 years. We're going to pound the rock. We're going to beat your skull in with the football, running the football rather. Probably a lot of quarterback running there as well. And you're going to have to deal with it. Can you hang with us physically is what Kansas State's trying to ask Texas. Now, Kansas State, they're running the ball 42 times a game for a 5.3 yards per carry. Y'all, that's really good. That's going to get the job done on most days. Now, Texas played really well defensively last week against BYU, created a lot of turnovers. The, the, whole, pre, the, the whole hinge point within this is if you can't stop Kansas State running the football, they control the tempo of the football game. And if they control the tempo and they're able to get up on you, well, then you ask Malik Murphy in his second start to try and chase points against a pretty aggressive to a degree Kansas State kind of defense. Now, how aggressive are they going to be? We'll talk about that here in just a second. But if you can force Kansas State out of their comfort zone and be able to minimize that yards per carry number and force a lot of third and long, third and passing, well, then you ask Kansas State to do something they don't really want to do, which is throw the football. And Will Howard, I'm a Will Howard guy. I like the way that he plays the game. Every Johnson, a guy that I think is going to be a star in college football here in the next couple of years. Kind of a two-quarterback system there. Uh, Will Howard is a two-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio right now. Translation, he will give you the football if you force him into passing situations consistently. 14 touchdowns, seven picks. So keep an eye on that whole conversation because if you force them out of their comfort zone, and you're able to score points, and you set the pace if you're Texas, I don't think this offense is built to chase you. Maybe it's built to match you, but if you get up two scores, three scores, they don't have that gear to say, all right, let's go back there, throw it around the yard, and find ourselves back in this football game. It's, it's not, not really their forte, if you will. Now, something to watch. I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Kansas State uses a lot of quarterback runs. <clears throat> they have since... Their offensive coordinator, Colin Klein, was the guy back there for them running the football. How does Texas address that design quarterback run game? Because we talk about it on here a fair amount. Anytime you have the quarterback running the football, you have more guys being blocked if you're on defense and less guys to go and tackle the quarterback. It's just a tricky thing to, to scheme for. It's a tricky thing to be able to fit in game. And if you don't do that consistently, it could, have, could or if you don't fit it well consistently, it could end up being a long day for you if you're Texas on defense. So 
Keep an eye on that. That's going to be crucial when it comes to this game. Other thing we got to ask, on the defensive side of things for Kansas State, how do you address all these Texas weapons? Like they, they, got, they got more weapons than a military base. Just the Texas offense. Adonai Mitchell, Jatavian Sanders, Xavier Worthy. Like we keep going down the list here. They got so many dudes that can hurt you when they throw the football. And Kansas State, like the, the thing that I looked at with them prepping for this breakdown was the Missouri game. Because Missouri, they, they, I mean, they have a number of dudes too that can hurt you. And to be real, y'all, like Missouri threw the ball all over the yard. I think they went for something like 350 through the air. Luther Burden had over 100 yards receiving. Like, that's beside the point I'm trying to make. But for Kansas State, they have an example on tape of having issues addressing multiple playmakers. Now, I think there's a couple of ways to try and play this if you're Kansas State against Malik Murphy. One, you try and give him the you know, young quarterback treatment, which is you try and heat him up a little bit, even though Kansas State hasn't had a ton of success getting to the quarterback so much this year. Maybe this is the game. Maybe you try and be exotic. You try and rock and roll the safeties. You try and show cover three when it's really cover two. Try and confuse him, get his eyes all out of whack, try and hurt his confidence. Like, I think maybe that's one approach you try and make if you're the Kansas State defense. Because if you want to go man-to-man across the board or you try and just play straight-up zone, like, I don't think you like your guys versus their guys to be honest. So you have to affect the launch point, which is, of course, Malik Murphy. Now, something to watch for in this game, something Kansas State did a fair amount of, and Missouri really kind of took advantage of against Kansas State, was Kansas State just said, we're going to keep it all in front of us. So Missouri, if you want to try and beat us deep, and spoiler alert, Missouri eventually did end up beating Kansas State deep a few times, so keep an eye on that if you're Texas. But early on, Kansas State said, we're going to try and keep it all in front of us. We're going to try and play a zone and just back off a little bit. And you take what you want underneath, but we're going to rally up to the football. If they want to play that way against Xavier Worthy, I don't think that's going to work out very well. Like, if you want to give Xavier Worthy a crossing route underneath, he's going to turn five into 15. Or Adonai Mitchell, if you want to give Xavier Worthy extra attention, he'll do what he did last week. Catch a touchdown, maybe two, probably hurt you over the middle. Jutavian Sanders, same deal. He's a force, and your, your safeties have to respect him. So, like, the way that this puts strain on a defense in the secondary is something to watch for because that makes Malik's, Malik's Murphy's job just 10x easier whenever, whenever you're not able to adequately address all the weapons that they have. And I think that's kind of what this game comes down to. Like, what do you ask of Malik Murphy if you're Texas? And the, the points within that, I would say, are if you're Texas, you want to help him out as much as possible, right? You want to run the football. You want to create third and manageable. You, you want to allow him to play with a lead. If you're the defense, you want to create turnovers, get extra possessions. Like, obviously, all that that you had last week against BYU, you want to try and bring that into this game as well against a better Kansas State football team. Let's call a spade a spade here. Now, for Kansas State, you want to have as many moments as possible where you put the game on Malik Murphy's shoulders. Kind of the inverse of what I just said a second ago with what Texas wants to do. Can you make him chase points? Can you create a lot of third and obvious passing situations where your defense can try and get after him or you can kind of try and you know play back and sort of mess with this younger quarterback? That would be the way that Kansas State wants to approach this whole thing. Now, what you ask Malik Murphy to do comes down to the frequency of Kansas State isolating Malik Murphy and what he has to do in this football game in Texas helping Malik Murphy and taking the pressure off of him. And then obviously, how does Malik Murphy respond in those situations where it is on his shoulders? Does he keep from having that big mistake, the pick six, or the bad fumble against BYU, or those those turnover situations you had last week? Can you minimize those, and can you elevate your play from even a week ago in your first start? I think that's going to be 
the ultimate key when it comes to who ends up winning this football game. So to be real, you look at the way that Kansas State's playing the run, and as tough as I think Kansas State is as a defense, as bend and don't break that they have been at points this year, they're allowing four yards a carry. In Texas, I don't think it's going to be super tricky. I'm sure Steve Sarkeesian will have some things dialed up pre-snap with Xavier Worthy running emotions and Adonai Mitchell working in the middle of the field and all that. But like at the end of the day, they want to run right at you. And they've made that very, very clear multiple times, even with Quinn Ewers in the lineup. And so with Kansas State allowing four yards of carry and Texas being able to run the football in this game, in my mind, I like Texas to win. I think it could be a little bit of a grudge match at different points in this game, but still I like Texas to win, like Texas to cover in Austin, 27-17. And if you're Texas, okay, another week down. Again, we just keep pushing this wagon uphill now. Quinn Ewers waiting for you to get back in the lineup. When you get here, you get here, but we just got to take it one step at a time. Have everybody carry a little bit extra without three in the lineup. And we'll keep on taking steps forward. A win as well, I would say this, from Malik Murphy. You have to imagine that helps the confidence just a little bit. The, the more good things you put on tape, it's good for the you know opponents have to respect and address and have to prepare for. That's all true. But I think also to be able to look in the mirror and say, okay, I'm 2-0 as a starter. I think that builds the confidence. I think that does kind of allow a little bit of a, oh yeah, I can do this if you're Malik Murphy as the guy for Texas. So that'll be a big one in the Big 12. Kansas State, I'm sure, would love to spoil Texas's you know, last year in that conference before they say peace out to the SEC. But again, we got Texas winning because of what they do up front and how they run the football. Two-quarterback system. Now, we got asked about the two-quarterback two system not too long ago. Uh, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not anti-two-quarterback system. And we didn't really talk about that a ton because Avery Johnson is going to be the guy that totes the mail for them uh, a fair amount in those obvious quarterback run situations. I'm cool with the two-quarterback system so long as the roles are clearly defined. I don't want my quarterbacks trading drives. But if it's a thing of, hey, we got third and one, Avery Johnson, you're in the ball game, run the football first down, okay, now you're back out, I'm good with that. I think that situation can work. Hey, appreciate everybody tuned in live right now. If you could all like the video, little thumbs up icon under the picture, we'll be well over 100 likes, and we'd appreciate y'all greatly for that. All right, so roll party roll. We'll keep a good thing going, man. All right. Hey, cue that SEC theme music. Golly, I love that so much. I love it so much. Soak it in now. Not too long till we get toothpaste meets orange juice meets Big Ten with the SEC theme music. I don't love it, but regardless, here we go. Missouri at Georgia. Georgia minus 16? Georgia's a top, or excuse me, Missouri's a top 15 football team. We're giving Georgia 16? All right, 3.30 Eastern CBS. Georgia I mean, a lot of the, oh, they don't look right. Oh, Georgia, maybe they're not last year's Georgia. What's Carson Beck? Well, now they don't have Brock Bowers. A lot of talking. And then last week, you noticed in Jacksonville, there was a lot of just radio silence from the Georgia ops. Georgia feels like they're kind of catching their stride, almost in runaway train mode. Uh, they are machine-like in every sense of the word right now. They are marching towards the SEC title, marching towards the college football playoff, College football playoff rankings released, if you're watching this live tonight, Tuesday night, happy Halloween, uh, this would be a big resume booster for Georgia if they can beat Missouri. So it's a big if because Missouri, they're going to bring the juice offensively. Georgia's going to get all the headlines, and they should by nature of what they've done to this point in the season and how they played against Florida. But for Missouri, man, it still feels like they're being overlooked just a little bit. Like if I'm Missouri, I'm saying, hey, we, we only have one loss. Y'all know that, right? We have one loss in the final seconds to LSU. 
were being overlooked just a little bit. Well, David was also overlooked before he slayed Goliath. And remember now, Georgia went to Missouri last season with Stetson Bennett and company, and they had their issues. They had to come back late in that game to end up winning this football game. So we'll talk about it right now. Uh, Anytime you get a spread like this, anytime you get a two-touchdown spread on this show, we have what we call non-negotiables for the team that is against that spread to win the football game. And the non-negotiables for me with Missouri, you have got to find a way to impact Carson Beck. Like Missouri, they have an 8.6% sack rate. They're going to try and pressure him a little bit. But the key to me in this one, yes, the defensive line is going to be crucial. I don't know that you really love where you stand trying to rush the passer against this Georgia offensive line. If you get home, you get home, more power to you. But the key thing for disrupting Carson Beck, I don't think it has to be sacking him consistently with applying pressure. I think it comes to what these DBs do on the outside. Because you watch Missouri's secondary, y'all, they are physical. They want to get hands-on. They want to bump you. They want to throw you off your route. They want to try and get in your grill consistently. And so anytime you're able to play physical with a wide receiving core, and the refs will have something to do with this now, how much they hold the flag or don't throw the flag, rather, will, uh, will be an impact here. But if you can disrupt the timing of a play, meaning I think that Dominic Lovett is going to be at 10 yards when I hit my third step, and instead he's still trying to fight through contact at eight. He's not yet out of his break. Like, I have to hold that football a little bit longer, get a little bit antsy. Maybe I look to my other read. Like, disrupting the timing of a play for Missouri could end up being crucial, and I think it's really probably plan A when it comes to trying to slow down this Georgia offense because they've been rolling right now. Super efficient on third down. Carson Beck has been a surgeon in every sense of the word. Even without Brock Bowers, they have been rolling. And we'll talk more about that here in a second when it comes to Brock Bowers. But the thing is, if it works and you mess up the timing, great. You give yourself a chance. You give your offense, you give Luther Burden a chance to really impact this game. Now, if it doesn't work, if you try and get physical and you can't handle these Georgia pass catchers or you kind of get caught lacking across the board and then there's somebody who doesn't win their matchup on that play, if you swing and miss trying to play physical in the secondary, usually there's a lot of real estate behind you, which makes for Carson Beck to have a pretty nice window to throw to and big plays happen. Like translation, if this doesn't work, you get gashed. High risk, high reward, got to risk it for the biscuit. We talk about it a lot with Georgia, but if you swing and miss in this situation and you're a Missouri defender, pretty good chance you check social media after the game and you're going to end up in a Coach 30 video. You don't want to have that happen if you're Missouri. Now, another thing to watch in this game, when Georgia's on defense, what is Missouri's effectiveness in scheming guys open. We talked about it here Sunday morning. We talked about it here yesterday, actually. Like, I think Georgia, straight up, the best matchup team in all of college football. Like, if you want to play mono e mono, our guys versus your guys, I think there's a matchup every single team in the country that I would take Georgia over. Maybe the one you look at is Marvin Harrison Jr. from Ohio State. Like, that's probably the one where you say, ah, maybe that doesn't favor Georgia. Outside of that, I think all of them favor Georgia. So, for Missouri... One thing they do exceptionally well, and they'll have to do exceptionally well in this game, is finding ways to create plays in space for Luther Burton. He is your best player. Period. Mic drop. The end. If you want to beat the best team in the country, in the Georgia Bulldogs, you have to find a way to allow him to have the most potential impact on this game as possible. So that could look like crossing routes. They do a lot with play action and sneaking a guy out to the sideline. We've seen Luther Burden be that guy for them multiple times on a wheel route. Like, however it looks, you have to find a way to confuse Georgia in the secondary and give them a little bit of a, oh, hey, we got to sort this out kind of feel. And Luther Burden gets rolling and has some big plays coming his way. That has to be the way that Missouri operates offensively. Because if you can do that, 
then you kind of put some pressure on Georgia's score. Then you kind of make it a little bit more of a keep pace kind of game, potentially. Potentially is a word used a lot here. Kind of a, a theme you're going to see here when it comes to these game breakdowns. Other part of this, though, if you can't do that, you take away your fastball. Like, if you can't consistently feed Luther Burden, I don't know that I love anybody else on this Missouri offense to be the guy that steps up and, like, beats Georgia for you. Maybe Theo East Jr. is a guy on the outside for Missouri. Missouri's had some success running the football at different points this year, but I don't think you're going to run the football against Georgia, and that's kind of the big thing for me. Like, I think Georgia, at the end of the day, is going to be able to remove the balance from Missouri in their offensive attack. And Missouri, I mean, they're right around 50-50 run to pass. And when I say remove balance, I'm not just talking about what they're doing defensively as the Georgia Bulldogs. Like, Georgia, what they do right now offensively, I think they're going to apply pressure to Missouri to keep up with them when they score. And kind of the, the thing within this is whenever Brock Bowers was in the lineup for Georgia, it was very clear. It was it was very, very clear who you had to game plan for. It was like, hey, number 19's gonna get the ball a lot. He's the one they want to get the rock to. We got to keep an eye on him. We got to make sure that we have him addressed first, second, and third priority. But now without Brock Bowers in the lineup, there's just a, a bunch of really good playmakers across the board. Lad McConkie, Dominic Lovett. We saw Oscar Delp step up. Like, I think there's a little bit more of a hey, who's it gonna be kind of feel whenever you play Georgia now defensively. And I think Florida saw that firsthand. So Whenever they force Missouri to match scores, you can't just run the football if you're down by 10 in the third quarter. You kind of got to figure out a little bit of a keep pace factor with that offense. So again, takes away the balance of being able to run the football. You got to throw the football. And the other part of this, when it comes to the Georgia defense, like I don't think they can run the football to begin with. And that's not to disrespect Missouri. I think it's more so a testament to the front seven that Georgia has rounded into at this point in the year. They look like a Kirby Smart front seven. Take away the 48-yard run that Florida popped off in that game last week, and Florida averages 2.5 yards carry. That's kind of been the same thing the last three games for Georgia. Like, they're not allowing more than three yards of carry typically. Again, that wasn't what it came out to because they popped that 48-yard run. But I'm saying, overall, if you're taking the you know the median data points, that's kind of the level Georgia's playing at right now. So again, when Missouri has to throw the football and Georgia knows they have to throw the football, I think that could mean some bad things for them. Now, is it they wreak havoc in the backfield and they're forcing multiple sacks like they did against Florida? It could be. But overall, just Georgia knowing that you have to throw the football to beat them, I don't think that bodes well for Missouri. So I think Georgia, like we talked about a little bit earlier in the segment, I think they're a runaway train. I think Carson Beck is humming. I think he has another huge performance in this game and keeps trending towards Heisman Trophy, you know, candidacy, if you will. I think Georgia wins this game. Final score, 41-23. So we like Georgia to win. We like Georgia to cover. And I think Georgia, once again, catching their stride at the exact right time. Surprise, surprise. Kirby Smart and company playing their best football in November. Who would have thought? And uh, like I said, it's a little bit of a resume boost here for the dogs as well as they beat a top 15 team. I think they do it in convincing fashion. So that's where we stand on the dogs. A lot of talk around, well, are they going to be that good this year? What's up with, you know, Mike Bubba and Carson Beck and them starting slow and Georgia's not Georgia. Georgia's still Georgia. By the way, things look right now. Georgia is still Georgia. So be a lot of fun to watch. Another, uh, another SEC theme special, 745 Eastern. For the West now, a big a big factor in winning the West here will come in this game. You got LSU going to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. 
Alabama favored by three and a half points. Everybody and their mama going to be at this game, college game day included. Alabama, for them in this game, I think they have the potential to make this their like silencer moment in the story arc. Because remember how the year started. Alabama, are they going to be pretty good? A lot of people have in the college football playoff. A lot of people think this will be the revenge year for Nick Saban. They lose to Texas week two. Everyone's like, oh no, what's going on with what's going on with Bama? The suspense builds. It builds. USF, they don't look good. Ole Miss, can't take them down. At this point in the story arc, I think if you're Alabama and you beat a really good offense in LSU, and if you do it convincingly, this could be the, okay, we're all the way back. We are all the way back. You said what you wanted to say. That's fine. Week two came and went. USF came and went. Here we are now. We're in November. We got one loss. What's up? Like, I think that would kind of be the way that uh, Alabama could approach this whole thing. Should they win this football game? First things first, make sure you're subscribed right here. If you're watching this video as a one-off video, it's from our live show, which we do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a minute of what we got going on right here on this show, The Hard Count, on the On3 YouTube channels. Hit that subscribe button for me. We appreciate y'all in advance for doing that. Now, when it comes to LSU, this, I mean, LSU, I think, by the college football public has kind of been treated as the middle child. Like LSU, hey, pretty good, not making the college football playoff. So we think right now with two losses. Yeah, offense is really good. Defense leaves a lot to be desired. Jaden Daniels, maybe he's a Heisman guy, but like they, they kind of get overlooked for the Georgias. And then you talk about the other teams that are overperforming, that you know we weren't expecting to be as successful as they have been this year. Talking about like that, that child that's maybe third in the birth order. Well, speaking from a middle child experience, uh, if you want to get everybody's attention, you make a loud noise. You do something drastic. And beating Alabama with, with one loss on their resume to this point, college football playoff aspirations, SEC title aspirations, if you beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa, uh, that would be the equivalent of a drastic thing to do and a loud noise that would have the entire college football's or the, the entire college football public's attention in that very sense. So what does the game come down to? Well, we look at last year, and the battle on the perimeter was one to watch, man. And I think it's the exact same thing this upcoming game in Tuscaloosa, especially when LSU has the football. What do we see them do a lot schematically? A lot of that pseudo-triple option that we're seeing right now. USC runs it a lot. Uh, we see Texas run it a little bit. They don't really have a quarterback to go north and south quite as much as LSU does. But the whole situation where you got a read option and you're reading that defensive end, and that's kind of your, your give key. And then the equivalent of what would be your pitch key is the next defender down, that safety that probably rolls up and is playing the, the offensive weapon that comes across the formation for you and is like your outlet. So at that point, you're in conflict with, do we give it? If we, if we don't give it and we pull it, do we throw it? Or do we get north and south as the quarterback? So kind of that, that modern triple option that we're seeing a lot, Jaden Daniels runs this better than anybody else in the business, even better than last year. And last year, he ran for 95 yards on the ground against Alabama. The burden of proof, as much as Alabama's probably talked about and favored in this game, the burden of proof is still on Alabama to be able to show they can stop that. Like, if I'm Mike Denbrock, I'm saying, Jaden, let's run this till we're blue in the face, brother. Let's make them stop that. And last year, it was Brian Branch that was playing on the edge a lot, trying to stop the, the third option of that triple option, trying to defend that pass. This year, I think you'll see a fair amount of Caleb Downs. True freshman, five-star true freshman, mind you. Dude is a stud. But still, to be in this situation against a 
polished and super freak quarterback of Jaden Daniels and putting him in conflict, how does that matchup go? It's something to watch for. Because if Alabama plays that well and is able to take that away, you take away a staple of the LSU offense period. Also, you take away a fair amount of what they want to do on the ground. And if you can kind of minimize them on the ground, then you're able to give more attention on the back end to all these weapons that LSU has. And I think that's all you can ask for if you're the Alabama defense. If you can just give attention to these LSU weapons, that's how you want to play the football game, right? Now, if LSU is able to get rolling in that situation, if they are able to kind of run the triple option and have success like they did last year in this kind of game, well, then everything else opens up, right? Then you kind of get that snowball effect and the safeties do have to roll down. Then deep shots do open up. And at that point, it's like, all right, track meet, baby. <laughs> Buckle the chin strap. Hope you brought the hard hat and lunch pail. Hope you got the... The track spikes tied all the way up because we're about to score 40. Here we go. And then you ask your, your offense with Jalen Milrow to match that. I don't know that you want to win that way. I think you could win that way for Alabama, but I don't think that's a situation where you would really like that game to go in that fashion. So something to watch for within that matchup here. If Alabama is able to kind of manage that run game of, of LSU, there's the quantity of weapons situation we talked about with LSU in a one-off video yesterday. They have so many guys that can hurt you. And that was the same thing that hurt Alabama early in the year, week two against Texas. Was the Xavier Worthy gets his, Adonai Mitchell gets his, Jatavian Sanders gets his, all guys for Texas that ate greedy in that game. I think that has to be the same thing for LSU in this football game. It has to be family style kind of eating for LSU. The, yeah, Kyron Lacey had a big game and... Yes, and Malik Neighbors played well. Yes, and Ryan Thomas played well. How does Alabama go about addressing those weapons? I want to see it in this game. Because I think if one guy hurts you, great, you'll live with it. You can manage one guy being the, the go-to for you against Alabama. But if it's multiple guys, well then, just like I said, a lot of points scored, track meet style, here we go. Jalen Milrow's shot clock in this game is something I'm watching very, very closely. Because like LSU in the secondary, man, they are two things you do not want to be. Uh, injured and bad. <laughs> like, no shade on LSU. LSU, like, we love y'all, man. We love y'all. We had a lot of y'all be a part of this show, but we're all on the same page here. We're going to call a spade a spade, tell the truth Tuesday. The secondary has, has had issues. Does not look like last year's LSU. And they've got a lot of guys dinged up in the secondary. A lot of guys that will not be available on this defense in this football game. And Alabama, yes, they want to run the football. Yes, they want to get downhill. But the real haymaker for Alabama, their, their knockout punch of sorts, is when they push the ball deep to Jermaine Burton, to Isaiah Bond. We saw that against Tennessee, saw that against AM. That is their, their silver arrow, if you will, that they can hit on. So for LSU, I'm seeing this mismatch on the back end, and I'm like, all right, y'all. Hey, this might have to be the game where like you just you let Harold Perkins be Harold Perkins. And I understand there's a thought around his draft stock. There's a, there's a thought of how good he is in coverage. And I think you still want to have that available and you want to utilize that when you can. But like, let's, let's be real here. Harold Perkins has the opportunity to take over football games. And for LSU to be able to stay in this football game, you have to get after Jalen Milrow. Alabama's not a, a quick game kind of football team. They're a football team that wants to, just like I said, drop back, let the play develop, throw some missiles deep. So if he launches those missiles deep, I don't think you like your matchup. But if you can affect the launch point, if you can get to Jalen Milrow, then you have a chance to stay in it. Then you have a chance to be able to, to impact this football game on the defensive side of the ball and not just kind of take your lumps. Then you can really hang with them. So I think you got to cut Harold Perkins loose in this game. 
to be real. Something to watch for within that now. When it comes to the subplot within this game, there's going to be a lot of plays here for Jalen Milrow where it's something into nothing opportunity plays. Like he breaks contain, guys chasing after him, going to be a sack no it's going to be a first down because Jalen Milrow is a really good athlete and he's getting north and south and picking up eight yards when you need seven and it's a first down for LSU or for Alabama and LSU still on the still on the field defensively and they're getting worn down for for Harold Perkins I think one he's going to be the guy matched up against Jalen Milrow I think he's going to spy Jalen Milrow so that's I think the first thing we got to talk about second thing is if you're Harold Perkins can you force those something into nothing plays to one, I guess, be a negative play would be the way you'd like to live if you're LSU. But it, even more so, like, if you just force him to throw it away, if you just force him to throw an incomplete pass and have it be one of those plays that don't hurt you, you kind of limit the special factor that Jalen Milrow has to him with his legs and neutralize that, then you keep yourself in this football game. Then you give yourself a chance. Because if not, like I said, bad things happen. Very, very bad things happen. So the final thing I want to talk about with this game, what is the balance between the stops that LSU needs versus the possessions they get. And when I talk about possessions they get, what I'm really talking about is how they do stopping the run. Because LSU, they have one of the, stru- the worst stop rates in the country. They're allowing like almost three, point, uh, three points a possession, three points a drive really, which is not good. One of the worst in the country in triple digits. Uh, Alabama, they are 60% run. So as much as I talked about with them throwing the ball deep and all their weapons, like at the end of the day, they want to run the ball at you. And LSU, they have not been great stopping the run. So I I don't doubt LSU's ability to score points. They're scoring 44 a game. But my question is, how many tries do you get to score? How many stops do you need? I talked to Shea Dixon from the Bengal Tiger yesterday. We talked about this exact same thing. This was his number one talking point in the football game. So shout out Shea. Make sure you follow him. He's, I mean, the, the stops that LSU gets equate to opportunities for them to score. How football works, right? But the thing within this now, the way Alabama runs the football, even if LSU gets a stop, let's say Alabama drives the ball, I don't know, 60 yards, they settle for a field goal. Well, how long did that 60 yards take off the clock? How many more possessions is LSU going to get, even if they held them to three? Like, I, the, the thing that would concern me is if LSU feels like they have to score every single time they touch the ball and they only get a few possessions. That would not be, you know, a world you want to live in if you're Jaden Daniels and Mike Denbrock. So the feeling of we have to score every time, especially on the road, I don't like the way that that looks if I'm LSU. So here's what I think is going to happen. I think LSU is going to score. I think LSU is going to score points. Like, the Alabama defense is playing much better than they did week two against Texas, but I still cannot get out of my mind the quantity game when it comes to weapons that Texas had and that LSU has in the same vein and the way that that hurt Alabama. So I think LSU is going to score points. To be very clear, no result here would surprise me. Like there is absolutely a path here for LSU to win, but no Makai Wingo in this game, one of their stud defensive linemen for LSU, him not playing in this game along with the issues LSU has had defensively. If LSU is going to win this game, it would take them doing something we haven't seen them do this season. It would take a superhuman effort defensively stopping the run, in my humble opinion. So I think it's back and forth. I think it's close, to be real with y'all. But I think Alabama at home, revenge kind of factor. I like Alabama to win this football game. Final score, 35-31, the tide roll in Bryant-Denny. Now this would mean for Alabama, there's no more talk around. They're hanging around. Alabama's catching their stride. Alabama's getting their mojo. No, no, no. At this point, like, 
we're doing this live show on Halloween. At this point, you're saying it's alive. It's full-on Frankenstein style. Like, it's alive. Alabama is alive. Left them for dead in Tuscaloosa when they lost to Texas. No more. Alabama is alive. Alabama is a force. Alabama is going to have to be talked about when it comes to that college football playoff discussion. So that's how we feel about this game. Going to be spooky, I believe, uh, just by nature of the impact of this game on the college football playoff and on the SEC. But we like Alabama to get it done at home. Would not touch the spread, to be real with y'all. I know we have Alabama covering by like half a point by nature of our final score. Uh, I would not touch that spread. So do as you would like, fade or follow, but uh, we would not touch that spread. Uh, really quickly, follow me on Instagram because on Instagram, we have a couple things for you. One, we have like behind the scenes content whenever we do go on the road. We too have a question and answer period on my story on Fridays. So we do live chat here. We get in the live chat. We have a good time on the live show. But on Fridays... What I do is I hit Starbucks, a little pumpkin cream cold brew, man enough to say it, no issue saying that, and we sit down on the back porch and we just talk about what y'all want to talk about. I put a little question sticker on my story. We go back and forth, answer y'all's questions, thoughts, concerns about the college football weekend. So make sure you're following there. Third thing, we do our best bets. It's a tough week last week. It's my own doing. I said, hey, we've been rolling, haven't had a losing week since week two. Get in on this. I tweeted that out. And uh, wouldn't you know we had a losing week? So what does that mean? Big circle the wagons week. It's going to take everybody. going to take a team effort, as it always does. Our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate. It's that we are powerful beyond measure. So we attack again this week. Again, those best bets will be exclusively on my Instagram page. All right. One more prediction for you. And then I want to get to y'all's questions, concerns. So get in the live chat right now. Keeper of the Q, Nick Break, going to join us here in just a few short minutes. Y'all, we got a massive one on the West Coast. Washington, three and a half point favorites at USC, 7.30 Eastern, ABC. Like for USC, man, this feels like Lincoln Riley's last stand for 2023. If you are going to draw a line in the sand and say, nope, this is not the way that we're going out. Yeah, we're a two-loss team. So what? So we're probably not making the college football playoff. Caleb Williams not going to win the Heisman, probably. Again, probably a very big emphasis on those words. You want to revitalize your season? You want to kind of salvage morale and kind of flip this whole thing on its head? Go beat a top five team in Washington that's undefeated. Go beat them in the Coliseum, much less. I will say this too, USC, just something about the helmet, something about the uniforms, I don't know what it is. They typically find a way once a year, historically at least, under Clay Helton, under um, Pete Carroll, heck, under Ed Orgeron, like they, they typically are known for getting a sneaky win like this late in the year. So Washington favored by three and a half, but I'm just saying that's something we've known from USC to be as a brand. So for Washington now, they got everything to play for. Everything to play for. Undefeated college football playoff is is within their grasp. We'll see where they stand in the rankings tonight. Uh, Pac-12 title game, charging head on towards it. They got Utah next week, but it feels like for, for Washington now, like it's been a weird feel around this team since they played Oregon. Like, since they beat Oregon at home, three-point win, it was emotional, I'm sure. Like, very weird last two games for them. Had a rock fight against Arizona State. Yes, a rock fight. Took a, took a defensive touchdown for Washington to win that game. And they played Stanford, and that game was close. So, like, very, very weird last two weeks for Washington. If they're able to kind of get their composure back in this game, that's kind of what I think it is for Washington. Big composure check for the Huskies headed to the Coliseum. Now, I think there's a lot to talk about within this game, obviously, around the offensive side of the ball. But, like, 
USC's defense is going to be the talking point for everybody this week, right? Can USC do something defensively? I'm here to tell you they cannot stop Washington on, on the on. I'll rephrase that. Uh, USC defensively cannot stop Washington when they have the rock. And I'm not saying that to be down on USC. I'm just saying Washington, we know what they have on the outside. It's an NFL quarterback. It's several NFL wide receivers. They're not going to be able to keep pace with what USC has or with what Washington has on the offensive side of the ball if you're USC's defense. So I think for USC now, you got to go back to last year's tape in a couple of games. We need an Alex Grinch. Yes, I'm saying this. An Alex Grinch takeaway special if you're USC. Because if it's a track me, I don't love USC's chances to keep pace. And not because I don't love Caleb Williams, because I've seen a couple of times this USC offense have trouble and have enough gas in the tank to really roll how you would need them to roll in this game. Now, I understand Washington had the fall off against Arizona State. I get that. But like at the end of the day, I trust Washington a little bit more to score points. So last year for USC, they were taking the ball away right around two times a game. We say takeovers, or excuse me, takeaways and turnovers aren't really in identity. And I don't think they are. But you've shown the ability to do it if you're Alex Grinch defensively. It's high risk, high reward kind of style in Washington, man. They're giving it away one and a half times a game. This is the game where you might need to have more possessions. Like, as good as these offenses are, it might be who has the ball last. That's who wins. Can USC find a way to create extra possessions? And some of that's going to look like the safety play. Like, USC, their safeties have to be able to make plays when the ball is in the air. It's kind of a no-dust statement. But the way that, that Washington wants to press the ball down the field, there's a reason that one-and-a-half takeaway number or giveaway number rather is, is under Washington's box score. There's a reason why they're turning it over at that kind of clip. Because they're willing to risk it. Because they're willing to, to take their shots deep. If USC can create a couple turnovers, that's how they would win this game. If they can't, again, if you want to play straight up, I like Washington to be able to take advantage of their possessions. Now, here's the other thing I want to watch in this game. If you're USC, is there any ability slash effort to slow the game down? It sounds crazy because Lincoln Riley's, you know, calling the shots here and you got Caleb Williams playing quarterback and conventional wisdom would tell you, hey, we got to score as many points as possible to win. We got to score on every single possession. Maybe that's the case. But I think you also want to keep Michael Penix Jr. watching this game as much as possible. And like, to be real, you probably want your defense watching this game as much as possible as well. So what do you do if you're USC? You got to find a way to run the football. And it doesn't mean you can't go no huddle. But maybe it's a sugar huddle. And a sugar huddle is essentially where like everyone's kind of standing around looking at the sideline. You're not on the ball yet. But you're also not, you know, in a huddle just waiting for the clock to to tick down. Take a little bit off the clock. Wait till that play clock gets right around 15 seconds. Then we get the call in. We get settled. Snap the ball with five seconds left on the play clock. Because Washington, as good as they are offensively, we've seen now and talked about it a couple times. What they have in the trenches defensively is what we like to call on this show suspect. I don't trust it. I don't trust it one bit. And USC, they're running the football at five yards a carry. So if you can take Michael Penix Jr. a little bit out of the game with how you do running the football, and you keep Caleb Williams and the best part of your football team offensively on the field for USC, that could be a path for USC to victory. Now, here's what it all comes down to for me. And it's not X's and O's, and it doesn't have anything to do with the scheme. It doesn't have anything to do with like the actual personnel in this game. Like, Where are these teams at? Where are they at? Because USC, we got a one-point win over Cal. What's up with that, man? Like, I don't think that's a personnel thing. I don't think that's a talent level thing because USC, from a roster standpoint, should blow Cal out of the water. 
where are we at? How much desire is there? How together are we within that locker room? I'm not challenging that. I'm genuinely asking. Because since that second loss, that game isn't a super strong data point. Now, there could be a little bit of a hangover effect there from that game, I understand. But, like, where are we at if we're USC? Same question for Washington. We're reading the, pl- the press clippings a little bit. You had game day come to Seattle, and you beat Oregon by three points, and then, like, where have we been? We're in, we're in games with teams that we have no business being in games with. Arizona State took a defensive touchdown to win that game. What's up with that? I love ASU, but still, Washington, with the personnel you have, same thing I said with USC against Cal, you should be able to take over that game. You should be able to have Michael Penix Jr. sipping some Gatorade and doing freestyles in the fourth quarter without his helmet on and watching the backups play at that point. Like That's how that game should have gone for Washington. Same thing with Stanford. Now, I know Stanford kind of found themselves against Colorado and played well in that game, and they're, they're sneaky, they're scrappy. I get all that, but like again, they have no business making this a game in the fourth quarter where they're dropping a, a pass on fourth down to where your offense has been able to get back on the field and, and pull away in that game. Like There should be no pulling away from Stanford in the fourth quarter if you're Washington. So I question, where's the psyche at for both these teams? Who is in the most competitive, healthy mindset to win this game? Now, to be real with y'all, I think that's Washington. And I'm not speaking ill of USC. I just think the second loss and the way that we saw them go to battle with Cal, I don't think the win over Cal personally was a, okay, let's get back on track kind of win for USC. I think it was, hey, that, that took a lot out of the gas can is how it feels when I watch USC. Caleb Williams, there is absolutely a path where he just puts the cape on, as we've seen him do, and he just takes over, and that's how USC wins. I would not be surprised if he ends up doing that. However, I think Washington, with the personnel they have defensively, or not defensively, excuse me, with the way they match up with USC's defense and what they have personnel on the outside, if they can just win those matchups like we've seen them do, they're great throwing the football. USC's bad against the pass, and I think that ends up being the difference. So I think we see points scored, the over is uh, is appealing, so keep an eye on that number. I think it's right around 76 at the time of us being live. Uh, final score for us here, again, back and forth, kind of shootout fashion, but I think Washington ends up winning this football game. Final score, 43-38. to 38. And so for Washington now, this is uh, a win where I think you, you again, kind of restabilize yourself, get back on track, kind of steady the wagon, and for USC... That conversation around Alex Grinch and what he's going to be going forward for SC, that, I mean, you just, you crank the volume knob all the way up if it wasn't already all the way cranked. So we like Washington to win at USC, but I'm just saying now, USC, they find a way to be sneaky every single year and win one of those games, uh, especially in the Coliseum. So that'll be must-see TV. No caffeine needed for that one. Not a 10.30 kick, a little 7.45. Again, if you want to indulge some caffeine out of pure nostalgia, for Pac-12 after dark towards the end of that whole era, be my guest, we'll probably do the same. All right, get in the live chat right now. Want to hear from y'all. We call ourselves the People's College Football Show. You don't get to do that and not include the people in the show. All right, just so we're all on the same page there, and we appreciate y'all being a part of this operation and for hearing from y'all. The best part about this whole operation, and so we're about to bring on the, the keeper of the queue, Nick Brake, here in just a short minute. Before we do that, though, want to tell y'all about Roback. Now, here's the deal now. If you walked outside today, depending on what part of the country you're living in here in Nashville, it was frosty windshield season. A little crisp. See the breath in the air like, okay now. Okay now, we're going to have to put a little bit more layers on. Roback has got you taken 
care of. Now, y'all know I love Ruback. I wear them all the time. They have the best polos on the market. Also, best hoodies on the market. If you need a polo to last you the entire day on a game day, or you need a hoodie to be ready for, for a little tailgate season as you're outside, maybe you're in Big Ten country, maybe it's, I mean, heck, it's getting crispy in SEC country too. It doesn't matter where you are. Getting a little bit colder, Roback has got you covered. Great joggers, great polos for game day as well. Great hoodies, performance crewnecks. As we move into crispy season, frosted windshield season, Roback is going to take care of you. Also, they have been proudly leading the NIL charge. They've signed partnerships with college stars Cade Klubnik, Kyle McCord, Nick Singleton, Jalen Milrow, Audric Estime. They've also teamed up with the legendary Coach O. So use the code JD, just those two letters, no periods, just J and D, on Roback.com for a generous 20% off for all new customers. That's spelled R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. 20% off, again, all performance polos, joggers, shorts, hoodies, performance crewnecks, just... Use that code. They'll take care of you. We appreciate them for doing so. Just in time here for crispy season and college football season. Check them out at Roback.com. All right. Let's bring on the people's champ now. Producer extraordinaire, pride of Owensboro, Kentucky, straight from the borough, Nick Bray. What's up, Nick? JD, did you have to uh, do the, the, what is that called on your car this morning? Oh, the, uh, what is the scrape? That? Yeah, did you have to scrape your car? I didn't, man. Um, I'm fortunate to where I can just turn on the defrosters mm-hmm. and go from there. Now, some people, they're, they're, uh, they're living lavish. They're the, the one percenters that can just turn on the car like from the comfort of their own home yeah, and defrost. Yeah. I think you and I are in the same boat where we don't have that feature on our car. I do not. I, no, I park in a parking garage um, for my building, so um, I, I don't have to do that, but... Dude, yeah, I, I'm not very good at getting out and scraping my car. That's all right. The movies or something. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a blue collar operation for sure. Yeah. When we start doing the scraper, we'll uh, yeah, we'll, we'll work on it. We got time here. We got time. We got time here. To Maybe get a there. little bit, like a week or two. Yeah. JD, yeah, uh, OG Gary's always asking about kickball. I really appreciate. Let's go, Gary. <laughs> um, Gary asked how it went. It's tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, asked, are we winning it all? Do we get a ring? A parade? Yeah, we'll throw. A, we'll have a parade. We have know. to throw a parade. Final Four season, dude. It is. We, it's Final we, Four. That's a banner, right? Oh, it's for Making sure a it banner. Making it to the Final Four. It's We're a, banner. a banner. Uh, and now you're chasing some hardware. Yep. Like, I mean, potentially two banners. Oh yeah. That'd be crazy. That's that's yeah. That's true. It'd be awesome. Is <laughs> there? A, I know we got questions. Is there a line on the game tomorrow? Are y'all plus oh, odds, we're, minus we're, odds? We're plus odds tomorrow. Really? Plus okay. Odds. Hey, JD. Uh, CJ Jacoby just said. Um, I'm from, yes, I am from Owensboro. Uh, so the team that the school from Owensboro, Kentucky Wesleyan just beat Louisville in an exhibition last night. So that's what he's bringing oh, up. Man. It was, uh, it was something I know like three or four people on Wesleyan's team and I've, uh, watched them play in, um, in a park in Owensboro and man, I don't understand how Louisville lost to Kentucky Wesleyan. No disrespect to the Panthers. Go Panthers. Go, go It's thirds. pretty crazy. Yeah. That was pretty crazy to see happen last night. Man. Um, what do you say I get some questions? Let's do it, brother. Let's do it. Uh, well, Scooby, do you think Oklahoma will make the playoffs with if they win the Big 12? If they win the Big 12, I think there will be enough chaos, Scooby, for the Sooners to find their way in. The thing that concerns me now, they still likely would have to play Texas for the Big 12 title. And even going into that game, I don't like Oklahoma's chances to beat a Texas team twice. 
So we'll see. But uh, the question that you asked was, if they win out, are they in? They need a little bit of help. We'll see what the playoff rankings say tonight. Uh, I would lean no, to be real with y'all. I, w- I would lean no on Oklahoma making the playoff, period. But if they win out, if they give, have one loss, uh, they'll find their way in. So don't let me run in your parade, Scooby. Uh, if they win, I think they're in. Uh, J.D., along with those lines, um, Joshua Hinkle asked, J.D., does a one-loss Big 12 champion get in the playoff over a one-loss Georgia team whose only loss was the SEC championship? Ooh. So in that, I mean, we're going to have to talk about scenarios here, yeah, J.D. Yeah, I love it, man. We'll put our put our scenario Ooh. hat on a little bit here. My feeling here is yes. Um, and a lot of that does have to do with the chaos that would happen across the landscape. I think, I think there's a world where they both get in, but I don't see a world where the Pac-12 champ gets left out. I think if Florida State goes undefeated and, and they get in, they're, you know, they're in, period. Um, I think that the conference champion label matters a lot to the committee. And so if there's you know, enough spots being filled up by other conference champs and it comes down to a one-loss Texas or Oklahoma and uh, you know they're the Big 12 champ, and then Georgia, who just lost to Alabama in the SEC title game, would Georgia be favored over all those teams? Probably, but I think by resume standpoint, I think Georgia could be on the outside looking in in that scenario. Now, again, I'll, I'll, I'll reemphasize this. Uh, we have Georgia winning the national title still. We have Georgia winning the SEC still. But with that being said, given that scenario, I think a one-loss Big 12 champ, the conference championship label now very, very important. I think they would find their way in over a uh, – over a one-loss non-conference champ from the SEC in Georgia. This is a really good um, question. I'll get to this one from Evan last. I'm going to ask a few uh, beforehand, but there's a good one that we're going to end off on today. I love it. Um, Dom says, J.D., what are your thoughts on Air Force minus 18 and a half? Who are they playing? Yeah, let me look that up. Who do we got? I need to look it up right now. You're an Air Force fan this year, aren't you? Uh, I won. I love the Air Force. So much that I guess I don't know who they're playing, so that's on me. Um, they, interesting. They play Army Black Knights. They can't, there's no way ooh, they're... Ooh, okay, a little, little commander-in-chief action. There's no way they're... Oh, they're favored by 18. That's for some huge. reason, I was yeah, like... Yeah, okay, so, yeah. If, so since Air Force already beat Navy, this that. would be for the commander-in-chief trophy if Air Force were to win it. Um, I like a minus 18. Air Force has been rolling. Air Force has been rolling, so I like a minus 18. Um army hasn't been quite as good this year the minus 18 number does scare you a little bit because of how low scoring it could be between those two um, triple option attacks but i like air force minus 18 if you're asking me at this very moment without a ton of work done on that game uh, i would lean air force um jd i'll do two more questions and then i'll ask the halloween themed question that's great how's that that's great brother so this one is from heavier um heavier florida state fan if i if i remember correctly um, asks a question about FSU, says, what would you need to see from the Seminoles to be number one by postseason, assuming all other top hmm. four teams remain undefeated? I would need, so I don't, hmm, that's a great question. The, the caveat there with the other four teams remaining undefeated makes me nervous about Florida State. The good news, makes me nervous about Florida State being number one. The good news is for, for Florida State, uh, you don't have to win out to, I'll rephrase that. Being number one isn't what matters for Florida State. Like, I think if everybody else wins out, Florida State, by nature of their schedule, and some of that's a you know knock on the ACC and what they haven't been this year, I think you'd still end up probably being three. Because I think the Big Ten champ, if they're undefeated, they got to be at two. And Georgia, if they're undefeated, or maybe actually I'll, I'll rephrase that. If Ohio State runs the table and they're undefeated, they're number one. 
If Georgia runs the table, they're undefeated. They're number two. If Washington goes undefeated and Florida State goes undefeated, I might lean Washington being three and then Florida State being four. So it's, it's a lot of scenarios. Bottom line, if everyone goes undefeated, I think that Florida State probably doesn't have a chance to be number one. And that's kind of a tough thing to say at this point, to say not have a chance with so much left in the season. Um, that wasn't your question. You asked, how would they do it? They need to be the epitome of convincing. Like, I need shutouts for the entirety of a game. I need north of 40 points every game. I need like a leave no doubt kind of special every single week from Florida State. So I don't see the path from a schedule perspective being number one. But if it were to happen, I think style points, style points, style points have to be where you look if you're a Seminole fan. JD, um, like I always say, if, if we didn't get to anyone's questions today, come back tomorrow and Thursday. Um, there's not always quite as much traffic with questions on those days as there are today. So come in, get it back. There's a lot of good ones I'm not going to get to. I am going to ask one more before I get to this Halloween question, though. Who's on fraud watch for you? This is from Matthew. Mm. Um, what team in college football conversation do you think that's in it right now for the playoffs do you think will be totally gone in December? Will be totally gone in December. Man, that's a great question. You know who, where I'm looking, Nick? And it's funny because I just picked them to win a couple minutes ago. I don't trust Washington. I don't trust Washington because of what they have defensively. I think they're going to beat USC, but what they still have left to get done on the schedule. They got to play Utah in Salt Lake. Um, they would have to, I would imagine, play Oregon a second time to win the Pac-12. They still got to play Washington State. Like I think Washington is gettable. I understand they score so many points and they have NFL wide receivers. Fraud feels like a harsh term to use, but I think that Washington, by nature of how good the Pac-12 is and by my concerns what they have defensively, I'm going to lean towards Washington being that team that is maybe... No, I'm, I'm going to lean towards Washington being that team that's on the outside looking in when it comes time for uh, First Election Sunday. But doesn't mean they're not still really good. Doesn't mean Michael Penix won't still be in that Heisman Trophy conversation. Just means that we think there's uh, some issues defensively and be worried about how they would match up. Okay, let's end it on this one, J.D. from love Evan. Um, Nick and J.D., this goes for the chat as well. I'd like to see people comment what they think. Um, what team mascot would you be most terrified to see in a haunted house, either the mascot or whatever animal they symbolize? Ooh. Um, example, haunted house filled with a lot of Oregon ducks. <laughs> That's good. Nick, do you have one off the top of the head? Well, I will say my alma mater's uh, – Mascot's pretty scary. Uh, the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. Big Red wouldn't be something I'd love to see in a haunted house. Um, that would make me nervous, too. It would make me a little nervous. I, I don't know. I just watched that Five Nights at Freddy's movie. I hated it, but um, it kind of got me scared of, like, big like things like that. So any mascot at all, honestly, would kind of scare me to see in, the, in a haunted house. Nick, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it a buck here, man. I I hate bees. You, like I cannot like like, like I had a, had an experience early on in my childhood. I was stung by a bee like right near the corner of my eye, and ever since then, dude, like not run and hide and like start tearing up if I see a bee. But I'm not a fan of bees, dude. Like if I if I see a bee, I'm gonna like intentionally kind of like make sure I go around where that bee is at. So if we had a haunted house full of Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. <laughs> Dude, I'm not down. I'm I'm turning the other way. Trick or treating is done for the night. Thank you, but no thank you. That's where I would fall on that, Nick. So, okay. 
that's i'm excited to hear what we get in the chat though what we get from uh the rest of uh the comment section as well nick i appreciate you brother let's have a phenomenal halloween and let's get after him yeah big, absolutely big one tomorrow on the kickball diamond and on the show yeah big day tomorrow let's do it nick appreciate you brother yep see you Awesome. Y'all appreciate y'all being tuned in. Appreciate y'all making this a part of your day. You got a lot going on. You got a lot on your plate. Appreciate y'all finding time to either watch this live, watch this back, listen on podcast, on Apple or on Spotify, wherever you get the content, wherever you find the hard count. We're glad to have you a part of this. Make sure you are dialed into this channel because as soon as those college football playoff rankings drop, we will have a video for you. And we will also have a live reaction show from Andy Staples on this channel. So subscribe on your way out. If you have not already, we love y'all. We appreciate y'all. From Nick Brake, I'm J.D. Pacal. We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all 